HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at Heritage Radio Network. All right, all right, folks, it is Monday, it's 12 o'clock, and this is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and today we are going to continue our series on the dairy industry in the United States. Uh, this is episode number three, and we're going to be talking to Alex Laprise, who is the managing director of a state-run, or sorry, a state co-op for dairy called Roadie Fresh. And as everybody knows who listens to me regularly, I'm an endless promoter of Rhode Island products and Rhode Island itself is a state. And also I love what's happening in Rhode Island in terms of food and and agriculture. So <clears throat> that's what uh, drove me to track down um, Alex and get her to um, agree to come on the show with me. So Alex, welcome to What Doesn't Kill You. Thanks so much for coming on today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, darling. And so um, I wanted you to start by sort of giving us a thumbnail of how did Rhodey Fresh got, get started? Because what, you know, something was happening to Rhode Island dairy farmers, of which at one time there were a great many, um, and now there are very few. So what 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 sort of drove uh, the, the remaining dairy farmers to create a co-op? All right. So Rhodey Fresh started back in 2004. It was a group of five farmers. At the time, there were 20 farms in the state, uh, now down to about nine. Wow. Uh, like all farmers in, in the country, uh, they were losing money left and right. They wanted to find a way to improve their profitability. Um, there was the Northeast Dairy Compact uh, that tried to provide relief to the low prices, but unfortunately it didn't continue. Um, so the group of Rhode Island dairy farmers that started Brody Fresh thought this would be a great way to try to subsidize their milk check. Um, dairy farms are paid based on a federal government formula, uh, and sometimes it's not very favorable for the farmers. Uh, at that time, Brody Fresh Farmers were losing about $100 a cow per month. Wow. Um, so the farmers of Brody Fresh, they looked to a model of a group of farmers in Western Mass. It's called Our Family Farms. Uh, that's what our co-op is based off of. Um, 
at the time when we started. They reached out to all the processors in Rhode Island, and they were really having a hard time getting anyone in the state to process their milk. Um, that's when they kind of talked to Guida's Dairy, uh, which at the time was still owned by the Guida family, and they agreed to process for us. So it all started just for need of an additional income, which, I mean, all dairy farmers kind of know what the feeling of that is. Mm-hmm. Um, Why was it so hard to find processors in Rhode Island? I think just because at the time um, the dairy industry was so bad as it was that no one wanted to invest extra money to start processing more milk. Uh-huh. Um, and Rhodey Fresh, I mean, it, it, <laughs> it very quickly hit its goal. In um, six months, Rhodey Fresh was able to reach its five-year sales goal. Um, so oh. the volume of Rhodey Fresh milk skyrocketed right off the bat. And so, well, let's let's talk a little bit about um, how much milk Rody Fresh produces, and sort of where where it goes from from the farm. Because you, I, I know you have a sort of a complicated thing where you sell it to Agrimark and then buy it back. Yeah, how does that supply chain it's a very, work? Uh, <laughs> very confusing. So right now, currently, we have five dairy farms in the co-op. Um, last month, we sold about thirty-seven thousand gallons of milk. Mm-hmm. That's about. 315 pounds of milk, give or take. Um, the structure of our co-op, as you mentioned, is um, kind of confusing how we get get all of our milk. So our farmers are all a part of the Agrimark co-op, uh, which is the New England, New York-based co-op that sells the Cabot cheese. Oh. Um, so all of our farmers sell fluid milk to Agrimark. Agrimark pays the farmers, that's where they get their milk check from. Uh-huh. From there, Agrimark sells their milk to DSA, uh, to the Guida plant specifically. That's where it gets processed. <laughs> and then, us as Ready Fresh, we make the processed packaged milk, and then we sell it and pay for it from Guida at the price per gallon, half-gallon quart, and so on and so forth. It's there that we resell the milk. So it goes through many hands before um, we actually, Rody Fresh itself owns the milk. Uh-huh. So in essence, Rody Fresh is really a marketing platform for yes, this milk. It's buyers and resellers. Right. Well. You're not a, you're, you're essentially a distributor, a marketing and distribution uh, engine for Rhode Island yep. dairy farmers. Yeah. So that's an interesting model. And that's, you base that off of the same thing that's happening with the, the, the uh, co-op that you mentioned in Massachusetts, our family farms or whatever it's called. Yes. Very similar. Um, they um, also get their milk processed at Guided Dairy, so mm-hmm. it's a very, very similar model. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so um, let's talk a little bit about what it's like to deal with grocery stores. You know, you're a marketing and distribution platform. So grocery stores obviously are going to have minimums that you have to meet, certain requirements, uh, financial margins or economic margins that have to be dealt with. Um, what what are some of those challenges? Let's let's explain what that is. Like you, you mentioned something about, you know, sort of dealing with a big chain like Stop and Shop. Um, yeah, what okay. happened with that? For, is that a good okay, example so, of what it's like to yeah. deal with them? Yeah, okay, absolutely. So um, the grocery stores, um, we have the independents. They're all great to deal with. We have our Dave's Market, Clement's Market, McQuay's, so on and so right. forth, Selma's Market. Um, but this corporate grocery stores, Stop and Shop, Shaw's, Whole Foods, they all 
need to make a certain percentage for the item to be worth carrying on their shelf. Mm -hmm. uh, for dairy products, I believe it's 40%. Um, at the 40? beginning, Stop and Shop was a wow. great supporter. Um, but last year, we began having some issues. Um, as I mentioned, they want to make that percentage on their product. Um, our product became something that they didn't really want to put on their shelves because it was harder for make for them to make that 40% margin. Because the milk goes through so many hands before it's on the shelf, our milk's going to be a little bit more expensive than, per se, the hood sitting next to it or the Gorelick because they process the milk and distribute it themselves. Uh -huh. um, so, like I said, about last November, Stop and Shop decided to take all of our gallons and our half and half out of all of their stores. Mm. Uh, our gallons, I guess they weren't making that percentage in the way that they had it priced. People weren't buying it because it was so much more expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to that, they jacked up the prices of our half gallons to make us almost uncompetitive with anyone on the shelf. Mm. Um, Stop and Shop used to be one of our largest customers, and because of the new pricing structure, they've slowly <laughs> not even been ordering five cases of milk, which is usually our minimum per delivery. Yeah. Um over the course of the year, though, things have been turning upwards. Uh, some of the good stopping shops, such as the ones in the South County area near our farm, um, they've actually been taking the gallons back and taking the half and half back and doing better than they were before. So everything is coming back around how we want it, but uh -huh. it definitely has been a struggle. Because of our situation and how all of our profits go back to the farmers, it's hard for us to buy shelf space like some of the bigger guys do. Right, right. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that co-oping structure for a second so that people understand that, you know, the, the value of joining a co-op is that um, not only do you have this marketing and distribution platform, but some of the profits, I guess, from the milk sales come back to the farmer in addition to the amount, the base amount, baseline amount that they're paid. Can you, let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so um, any amount that we profit gets split up among our five farmers. Mm -hmm. So if we make $10, we're splitting the $10 up among them. So whatever we profit, because we're considered a nonprofit, goes back to them. I so see. at the end of the year, we should say that we broke even because anything we made goes back to the farmers. Right. So that's an incentive to join a co-op as well. Yes. And are yes. you able to, I mean, one thing that I, I wonder about with this co-oping um, strategy that you have is that you're, it's hard because you only have five farmers. It's, isn't it hard to negotiate um, better deals for your farmers because you don't have as much bandwidth as say a hood or Gorelick? You know, talk a yeah. little bit about how those, you know, like the DFA, the Dairy Farmers of America, who seem to be the big bad giant in the room. Um, you know, sorry about the mixed metaphor there, but anyway. <laughs> but I mean, they, you know, they're supposedly they're there to negotiate better prices for farmers. And but instead of giving the money back to farmers, they seem to be keeping it for administrative costs. But that's ideally the idea is to is to negotiate better prices. How do you guys manage that with only so few little so few farmers working with you? Would you want to get more farmers? Let's ask that question. Uh, well, we would love to get more farmers, but mm -hmm. there's only four other farms in the state. Well, four or five uh, that would be available to join our co-op and. Uh, Three of them do their own starter processing. They sell their own milk through themselves. And it, 
there's no one really else for us to gather. Um, uh. So we're kind of, unless anyone comes on as a dairy farm, but unfortunately, Agrimark won't purchase their milk because they've shut off new members coming in because of the surplus of milk in the, the co-op. Um, wow. But we're such a small co-op to, um, let's say, PFA who processes our milk. We're just seen as a percentage on their, their sales that, it's not really an important thing to keep um, to give us a better deal that we're just simply a, a customer to them. I see. Right. So, in fact, the co-op aspect of this is not is not the fact that you can negotiate for better money, but just that your farmers have a place to go with their milk and a yeah. marketing and distribution platform, and that's the the value of your co-op. That makes sense. Um, your co-op, Rody Fresh Milk, is... Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the price differential because you were talking about the margins that stores have to make, like a stop and shop that they demand a 40% markup or margin on their thing. And so what what would that make your milk cost versus uh, something like a Guida or a Gorelick or or even like, say, a Stonyfield or Horizons, you know, one of the organic milks? So for more of like the, the commercial type milk with the Guida, Hood, Gorelick, uh, we're a little bit more expensive. I would say anywhere from 75 cents to a dollar per half gallon, let's say. Um, so we're a little bit more expensive. But okay, that doesn't seem outrageous. For people like Guida and Hood, uh, they purchase their milk in directly from the farmers. So they're getting it at a weight per hundred rather than us buying it per gallon. Ah. Um, our processing chart, like what we're buying a gallon of milk from, from Guida, is more expensive than some of these people are trying to push their milk at local markets. Um, because, like I mentioned, <laughs> we resell it. So we have yeah. our own administrative costs also that we have to at least cover through our milk. So we have to charge so much more in order to make it worth selling the milk. Sure. Um, but compared to, for example, an organic milk, we're, more, we're less expensive than an organic milk, but of the same high quality with the same sort of standards. Uh, we aren't certified organic, mm-hmm. but none of our milk has any antibiotics or artificial growth hormones in it. All of our farmers have signed the pledge not to use those on their cows. And oh. that's a... Um, it, there's no way any antibiotics would reach your milk if you're buying Rody Fresh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's the law that actually you have to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody can get away with that, but, you know, maybe yeah. it happens. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Rody Fresh Milk, you said, is processed by a, a, a company called Guida, which at one time was a family owned. And now it's been um, purchased by DFA or is owned by DFA. And 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 so I'm I'm wondering how much does it actually cost for you guys to, or for Agrimark to, to process that milk? I think you mentioned it was like a dollar a gallon or something like that. Is it a big percentage of your costs to have that uh, processing? Yeah. So Guida is definitely, the, our cost to Guida is our largest cost. Uh-huh. So that's the products that we're reselling. Um, we also have another producer that produces our industrial size, or in, um, like our five-gallon bags and our half-pints. Those are for, like, the schools and the institutions. Uh-huh. Um, but, like I said, Guida is our most expensive um, bill that we have to pay. 
Yeah. And and so talking about institutions, who are your biggest supporters in the state of Rhode Island? Do you have a lot of institutional support from, say, all the universities and hospitals and the, you know, ACI? And, you know? <laughs> I mean, those are big um, players, right? So unfortunately, um, because of the state bidding process, we do not have a lot of support from the public institutions, hmm. uh, private institutions such as Brown, Roger Williams University, Johnson & Wales University, RISD. Those are our biggest, um, one of our biggest supporters. They make up such a large portion of our um, sales because they have that in their budget to allow um, purchasing a little bit more expensive milk to support their community. Um We've tried to bid with the University of Rhode Island, and unfortunately, we get undercut by the bigger guys um, because they're allowed to, and they can do that. But because um, you would think that a state university <laughs> would have an obligation, actually, to buy a local, especially an ag school like URI. Yeah, and exactly. URI is a, considered a land grant college. Yeah, so they were they were funded on the agriculture in the state and to provide agricultural education after high school. Uh, one of our farms is five minutes down the road from it. I'm a yeah. graduate from the University of Rhode Island. My family has graduated there. Wow. Our money has gone there. But uh, unfortunately, because it's public and the state state funded, um, it comes down to pennies. What would it take to change that? Would well, that be a legislative that battle? The state's really been pushing that they want more local, um, more local businesses to purchase from local commodities and mm-hmm. agriculture. But I believe they only have to purchase twenty percent, and you can purchase twenty percent of local veggies if you want. It doesn't have to be the whole mix of things. That's one thing that I kind of wish was a little different because dairy is one of the few commodities that's local all year round. You can get local right. dairy January through December. And, um, you, of course, you can get your meats and seafood. And I just wish that there was more of an, an assortment of local being pushed at these local institutions. Yeah. What, 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 how, how could that be changed, do you think? Like, what would be... Um... Is that a marketing issue, do you think, or or just an awareness for institutional buyers to be more aware, more educated? Yeah, I think awareness is a big thing. I'm not sure if when people think of local agriculture, they even really think of local dairy, because at this time, dairy's become so small in our state that people, I don't even think, realize that there is local milk. I mean, we have Rody Fresh on the shelves, but it's been... Now going on 14 years since we started, and people really knew about it then. But I think that it's lost. It's lost communication. It's lost distance from our um, our buyers, and of course, the people buying milk has changed. But I think awareness is a, a big thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm fascinated by this conundrum because <clears throat> Rhode Island being such a small state, it would seem to me that it would be easy uh, to, you know, roll that message out and make, you know, consumers much more aware of the options. And yet that doesn't seem to be happening through any kind of state educational program or something. I don't know. It's something worth exploring uh, further, I think. But let's talk for a second about um, the changes in Guida. You know, you were saying that it was a family-run business and then it was acquired by the Dairy Farmers of America. 
How did that affect your business and that of other smaller dairies in the region? Well, of course, um, working with small businesses, family-owned businesses, when you're a family-run business, it you go together better. You're more likely to sit down and have, like, you know, constructive conversation on how things can get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, once Guida was purchased by Dairy Farmers of America, I wasn't with the company or the co-op at that time, uh, but we did have start having some issues, things like minimum case orders on certain products was really enforced. And if we didn't order so many cases of, um, let's say, a half pint of milk, which gets sold to our colleges and universities, um, they would cut us, cut us off and we couldn't get it. And then we mm. didn't have a provider. Uh, that's when we were introduced to Windsor Dairy, which is located in Johnston, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it kind of put us in a hard spot because if we aren't, being supplied with the stuff that our customers need and want, then the customers start thinking it's something on our end that we're not fulfilling the order or we didn't order enough. Um, right. So it's kind of put us in a hard spot, and it's kind of made the area as a whole, I would say, other local dairies. I mean, there's not very many of them, but when there's this big guy in the room he makes all the little guys even smaller and smaller. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's let's take a Dave. Let's take a short break, and we'll be right back to talk more about um, dairy farming in America uh, with Alex Laprise. And um, we'll just listen to this quick uh, sponsor drop, and then we'll be right back. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. This is What Doesn't Kill You Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. We're talking dairy with my guest, Alex Laprise, the managing director of the Rhodey Fresh Dairy Co-op in the great state of Little Rhodey, that is Rhode Island. Um, And we're talking a little bit about, you know, the challenges for a small state with a small number of... um, you know, uh, an ever an ever diminishing number of dairy farmers. I want to actually backtrack for just a second, Alex. You know, you mentioned that when the co-op first started, there were X number of dairy farms in Rhode Island, and then now it's you're down to basically five. Like, what happened? 
Why, why are there so few dairy? Because Rhode Island used to have over a thousand farms, as I, I did a little research myself um, way back. And um, there were over a thousand farms in Rhode Island uh, around, uh, you know, the turn of the century, of the 20th century. And now we're down to, I don't, I can't remember how many, it's about 250 altogether. But but um, what happened particularly to dairy farmers? Why did that sector uh, diminish so, so dramatically? Well, um, in whole, I think all across the country, the smaller dairy farms are almost being forced to go out of business. Um, it's getting harder for them to pay their bills. Uh, one big thing in Rhode Island, especially on my family's dairy farm, is we don't have much land. We might be able to grow some corn silage, but it's not going to feed the cows all year round. We mm-hmm. have to buy in our hay. We have to buy in our grain. And we have to buy in probably about seven months' worth of corn silage. So that's a, a big expense off off the top that right there it's, sure. it's just very expensive um but i think that's nationwide that people have trouble in the dairy industry paying their bills but it's just it's become very hard for the dairy farmers in rhode island and, uh, and unless you have additional farm income like for example my parents both have two other full-time jobs that help subsidize the farm and wow them live, I mean, it's, it's, it's a challenge if you don't have an additional farm income, especially in Rhode Island, but What's I mean, I believe in the last year, two of our farms that were part of our co-op uh, went out of business. Oh, so. my. And then what happens to that land? Does it, uh, does it tr- you know, do they, uh, does it go into land conservation? How active is the state in preserving farmland, do you think? Do you feel like there's a, a really robust, um, you know, farm conservation or land conservation that's, that's helping farmers at least, um, you know, not have to sell to a developer in order to carry on the rest of their lives? Uh, we do. We, um, a lot of, a few of our farmers have actually sold their uh, development rights, so they're paid so that the farm will never be developed on. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, even that, some of them end up selling the cows just because they they can't afford a hundred dollars a cow. Yeah, to just be coming out of nowhere, and oh. unless you want to put on more cows, none of these. Uh, loan offices are going to even lend you any money anymore. Right. So, um, so really you're caught between this, like, you know, you have the minimums, you have to produce a minimum amount of milk in order to get a processor to process. And just, you know, I mean, I, I don't see how this equation will work in the future without some help, uh, from some other entity, whether it's federal or state government. What, 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 what would you imagine the state could do in terms of supporting um, agricultural enterprises like uh, Rody Fresh or other uh, dairy initiatives? Is there, is there some assistance that could be um, earmarked for preserving that those very few farms that are left that are, are keeping up that way of life? Or is that just well, romanticizing it? Are we just being yeah. romantic here, Alex? <laughs> As we mentioned before, I mean, uh, local places buying local products is really something that could help. I mean, Providence, the the capital of Rhode Island, it's really booming. and People are moving mm-hmm. here. New businesses are thinking of moving here. And I mean, that helps the economy, but when more people are coming here, of course, more people are eating. 
so if there was really that push for the local stuff rather than, like, you know, just your every old imported product sitting right. in your grocery store, that would definitely help. Um, dairy specifically, I know some local states, their government has issued funds to help farmers when milk prices get really low yeah. um, to help subsidize them. I mean, I don't know all the details on that, but that could definitely be something that could help the farmers. I mean, yeah, really anything at this point. What about a creamery? What about, like, anyone. what would it take for, for dairy farmers or for the state to help uh, build your own processing firm so that you're not then held hostage to uh, a company like Guida um, that, you know, that, I mean, in all fairness, needs a certain amount of volume in order to remain profitable. I mean, that's how all of these big companies work. You know, they, they got to move the volume or it just doesn't work for them economically. So, and as they all, as they say in the sustainability circles, if it's not economically sustainable, then it's not sustainable. So what, what would be the silver bullet for you guys? Would it be a building your own processing plant and um, not having to farm, you know, go through those many, many different um, middlemen before you can get your, your product on the, to the shelves? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the more middlemen you get, the more expensive it comes out in the mm -hmm. end. Um, I know that within our little Connecticut, Rhode Island, Mass area, we have three, not milk co-ops, but local milk groups. Um, ideally, that would be great if we could get all three of us working together. And, of course, that would increase the volume going through the plant and, yeah. and you know, spreading the debt around would help it become less of an investment um, because, of course, running a, a plant is very, very expensive. Even to start one up, I don't know the exact figures, but it is a huge investment. Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, it sounds like a kind of a worthy project, actually. Yeah. To, you know, well, like, in the end, I know that it would probably definitely be a profitable situation. Yeah. Why do you think that the various farms don't why are they not collaborating? What is that about farmers not collaborating? <laughs> um, I don't know exactly why. I think it's everyone. No one really wants to share their business with other people. Really? It becomes a, a kind of sticky situation. But, I mean, for example, even just at the small scale of Rody Fresh coming together to try and make more money, I mean, it might not be the easiest thing, but in the end looking towards the profit, coming together and working together, it's easier than the trying to do it by yourself. Yeah, no question the about it. The more resources you have, the better. Right, and the more ideas you have, you know. Yeah. And like everyone has a different idea. I mean, everyone's got a different mindset or how to look at things. I mean, everyone might be a little stubborn at times, but <laughs> it's, the, it's the table of ideas that you to the goal. So yes, I think so too. Well, so where do you see the future of dairy going in Rhode Island? Do you think it will remain uh, or grow, or do you think it's it's headed, you know, it's circling the drain at this point? What are your parents going to do? Unfortunately, I see a lot of struggles with the, the dairy farmers left in the state. Um, mm. I'm sure every single one of them has had the talk at the dinner table about should they keep milking cows or not. Mm. Um, I mean, lately, Rody Fresh has been profiting and doing quite well. So I hope that they hang around so that we can help help them stay. But I know that it, like the whole country, I think that the small farms really, they're really struggling because they 
I mean, they're getting treated not very well because they're small and big companies think that they can do it all with just a few large farms. Yes. Um, and I mean, the small farms, it costs them just the same to, you know, raise a cow, to feed a cow, so. Yeah. It's re- it's really it's a terrible problem. I, I see the re-regionalization of the food system as kind of the answer, but I don't see a lot of venture capital uh, going into that um, into that concept. In spite of all the talk that I have witnessed in the ten years that I have been doing this program, it's just uh, you know everybody talks about that, and yet somehow. Um, it it doesn't seem to quite levitate to the to the extent that it really would have an impact on small farming, uh, small and medium sized farming in the United States. You know, even with the growth of farmers markets and you know added value products and stuff like that, it just doesn't seem to really be taking off. And that's just a great sorrow. Um, I don't know how I don't know how to change that, but I will be doing my best to promote Roadie Fresh. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I think it's I think it's time that we we do some let's do let, let's get together again and talk about marketing this um, product. You had a great tagline when we talked um, in person the other day about why it's important to. Um, to support local local production, local agricultural production, um, you know, despite the added costs. So why why don't you just you know give give yourself a plug there, give the Roadie Fresh uh, name a plug, and tell people to go to the website. You know, give all that information and tell me that tell me that beautiful moment again of, that you mentioned. Um. So, so I mean, Roadie Fresh, it, every penny that we make goes back to the farmers. This is help the farmers run the farm, to feed their families, to preserve the open space that Rhode Island has left. Uh, these people are your neighbors. They're your friends. They're your family. They live in your backyard. Uh, and any product of Roadie Fresh you buy helps go back into their pocket. It helps them have that little bit of hope that maybe they can keep farming, that they don't have to sell out, that they can keep going. Yeah, I think, you know, in the end, it's like our really our food security as a nation depends on keeping these smaller farmers alive, in my opinion. Yeah. And um, and those that extra penny or extra dollar you pay or 75 cents a gallon you pay, um, you know, is part of supporting that system um, that ultimately will be, I think, our savior when um, things like uh, big... Um, you know, huge dairies are no longer viable thanks to climate change or other factors involved in, in doing big business with agriculture. And I think that's something that people need to to really meditate upon um, because it's not just, oh, the poor farmers. These guys are really providing um, a very significant link in the chain of our food security going forward. And that's something to be thinking about. Um, and plus, you know, may, just keeping land in production instead of letting it get developed is so important. And that's what farmers do for us as well. So, um, Alex, thank you so much for joining me today. This is a really eye-opening little uh, window into the life of of uh, smaller-scale farming in America. And I'm sure that what happens in, in Rhode Island is replicated all across New England, certainly, and probably all across the country. So I really appreciate your perspective. And um, we will be promoting 
you and Rody Fresh like mad for the next, you know, foreseeable future. So thanks a lot for being on the show. And thanks to my sponsor, Hearst Ranch, as always. And we'll see you next week with another uh, fascinating chapter in this series on dairy production in America. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.